Right, hello and welcome to another episode of the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You listen to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's things? Oh, I'm okay, man. I've got a hell of a cold and um, uh, a banging headache, so you're very much going to have to carry me this episode. I was trying to think <laughs> of the best like um, example of a, a, a player carrying a team. I went with Ryan Gold carrying friends a few seasons ago. Yeah, I yeah. I don't know. If, I couldn't think of an example of this season. There hasn't been like a well one-man teams. That's a good point, actually. No one quite stands out. I mean, it feels harsh to say Arabuena and Aruka because the whole team has been good. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, I'm 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 all right, boys, man. How about you? I, I, didn't you have to go to doctors today? Yes, I did have to go to the doctors. Uh, a small football-related injury on my left knee, meniscus strain. If anyone knows what that means, the diagnosis was uh, putting my feet up for a week with a bag of frozen peas for a little while. <laughs> Mate, we're falling apart crunch time of the season. <laughs> I know, I can't be relied on. My body's letting me down. But happily, Barney, for you and for the uh, for the listeners, my mind isn't letting me down for this podcast. So uh, we're going to be able to do... That was a good little link, I thought. We're going to be able to do a, uh, <laughs> a good episode. Because, of course, look, this was a huge, huge week in the Premier League, the penultimate week of Premier League of football, a weekend where the title race, the Champions League places, the Europa League places, the Europa Conference League places and the relegation battle could all have been decided in just a few days of football. And of course, uh, as I'm sure all of our listeners will know, all of that came to a head except one piece of the puzzle that is still yet to be decided, which we will come on to uh, very shortly. Before we get stuck into the show, as always, just a reminder that if you enjoy listening to the show and you want to give us some support, you can leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a star rating on Spotify, you can share the podcast with a friend, or you can become a long ball football socio for just £1 a month over on our new Patreon page. Um, Well, look, I think we should get stuck into some of this football, Barney, because... On a weekend where everything could have been decided, there is now only one thing still left up for grabs in the final game of the seasons. And that is, of course, the title, because Benfica missed an opportunity to win the title last weekend in their eternal rival stadium after a 2-2 draw uh, with Sporting in the Lisbon derby. It was a game of two halves for me. Sporting stormed into a 2-0 lead in the first half. But it was a battling performance from Benfica in the second half, which saw them get a 94th minute equaliser and a point which leaves them needing a win on the last day of the season at home to relegated Santa Clara in order to clinch the title. Sporting, I thought, started the game in brilliant, brilliant form. They took a deserved lead, but they dropped off in the second half, let Benfica back into the game. On the whole, you could say a draw was perhaps the fair result, but I think personally that, that Sporting will be disappointed not to have taken one of their opportunities to get a third goal and, and to kill the game. Yeah, and of course, that, that golden opportunity sort of fell to Paulinho, didn't it? Um, mm. Towards the, the end to make it 3-1. Um, and he sort of fluffed his lines there. I guess the sort of interesting thing on that was the fact that Paulinho wasn't starting this game and Amorin's sort of has gone with his now... I would say it's his, his trusted strongest attack with uh, Pedro Gonçalves Trincao. Marcus Edwards, and I think that that, that was that was always going to be a point of interest for me in this game, Albert, because I was interested to see how Antonio Silva and Otamendi would deal with with that sort of player coming up against a 
not a false nine in Trencal, but you know, not 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 an out and out striker. Yeah, you because know, one of them was going to have to step up, pick him up. You know, that would possibly create gaps for the other two to get in behind, and and it was just typical that you know, with all that going through my mind, that the the first goal came through a, a, a Trincao's run running behind. You know, sort of, sort of thing an out and out striker would would do. Um, lovely ball from Nuno Santos, and um, and Trincao had you know good determination to sort of keep going and, and get the ball in the back of the net. And like you said, the Sporting seems to have a lot of joy in that first half, you know, played really, really well. And, you know, you're reminded of some of those big performances and big games that they have had this season, you know, uh, think of the games against Arsenal and the uh, Europa League and, you know, some, <clears throat> some really polished displays and, you know, because a lot of players in that team played extremely well. The you look at the midfield, I thought God, and Rita had, Brilliant games, you know, particularly how quickly they would get to players. You know, they gave they gave players so little time on the ball, just harassing them, buzzing around them. Even Thiago's guy right back there had a fantastic game. You know, not only sort of keeping David Neres pretty quiet and 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 you know battling against Grimaldo, but also getting up that pitch himself and and and, and putting dangerous balls. And you know, Pedro Gonzalez should have scored from one of his crosses early on as well. You know, so this was a this was a brilliant display from from Sporting and and. I think they will be disappointed they weren't able to get the three points because, like you said, they had they had some huge opportunities to to really put the game to bed. Yeah, I think I think the first half was the best forty five minutes they've played, possibly all season. Definitely in the league. Obviously, you can argue that the Arsenal performance was better. The thing that I really liked about Barney was that it was the attitude from the players. I think they clearly knew the importance of this game. You know, for Sporting themselves, they haven't really got anything left to play for to achieve this season. Their position in fourth was all but confirmed, but they knew that allowing Benfica to win the league at their stadium, you know, in their backyard would be unacceptable in front of their fans. Um, they knew exactly the importance of this game and the mindset was fantastic. I think Amram set them up really well to play against Benfica. I think Benfica couldn't cope with them in the first half. Um, two very good goals, as you said. Chincao, I think, was excellent like you. Esguay was excellent. Diamando got a header. Mm. brilliant header for, for his goal and also really good performance but the issue started in the second half and I wonder where you, where you think the problems came from because obviously that football is a game of two teams playing against each other and and, and one team will always influence the other um, so Benfica's turnaround should, should really be attributed to them but I think there were some strange substitutions from Ruben Amarim I, I thought personally Paulino coming on for Edwards early in the second half was a strange one very different types of players. I mean, for me, on paper, Edwards is the perfect type of player to have on the pitch in that moment when Benfica have come out the second half stronger and they're going to have more of the ball and, and you're going to be looking to, to counter-attack and you've got Edwards on the pitch. You can pick the ball up from deep and really travel with the ball and run at defenders and cause problems. You know, I thought he would have been perfect. You know, there were more defensive substitutions after they conceded the first goal and, you know, he's bringing on Mateus recent and all this type of stuff. I just thought they they kind of played into Benfica's hands in the second half and almost allowed them back into the game a bit. And when you couple that with the fact that, you know, as we mentioned, uh, Pedro Gonçalves misses a golden chance in the first half and Paulino misses one in the second. Two chances that should have been goals. They should have, they should have had three or four in the game and end up joining the game 2-2. So it's really, I think it was quite disappointing in the end. Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you said there. But the only thing I would also add is... Um... I don't know what you think on this, but um, for 
Benfica's equaliser, which was late on, sort of um, was it a free kick into the box and a bit of a, a the ball was bobbling around and yeah. Jean Neves got on actually a second time uh, of trying, he mm. managed to put it in the net, and there was a you know there was a bit of a scramble, but. Uh, at the very start, when the ball first came in, Quattas goes down, right, and 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 there's a there's an angle, one of the replays where you you can just see everything he does, and he just sits on the ground the whole time and just watches and sitting there watching, oh, yeah. and then and then when it goes in, you know, he's up complaining to the referee, um, saying he was fouled in the build up to that. I, I, maybe this is too harsh, and I, I know I've I've sort of um, I've called him out recently as sort of being in the sort of decline of his sporting career, and I, I, the, I I'm not trying to highlight a, a scapegoat for anything like that, but I just felt like for your for your captain to to be sat there just looking and not scrambling to get up and try and do something. It just I not not that he might not have been able to do anything. It just I don't know. It didn't it didn't sit right with me. Um, and 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 yeah, I I think that's I don't know. I just, I, I agree with what you're saying there about the fact that they sort of allowed Benfica to to come on to them a bit more. That that was that was disappointing. But I I also do think we need to give credit to Benfica for this turnaround in in, in at halftime. I think a big move was um, bringing on Alexander Barr back from injury for um you know for João Mario and moving Arsenal back up from right back up into the midfield because I saw a picture of um, the average positions for Benfica um, and Arsenal's average position is very much in the middle of the pitch, you know, from that first half, despite playing right back, you know, the, the width he was offering wasn't quite there, but as soon as Barr came on, he was that width for them out, out wide and, you know, that would have troubled pushing Nuno Santos back and, and then that sort of nullified him because he was having a lot of joy down that left-hand side. And that was a big move from Schmidt. And not not only that, but I think one, we have to give a lot of credit to Roger Schmidt for that turnaround in momentum that would have happened at, at half-time because I've said several times this season, you know, there's, you know, when Benfica have been struggling, there's that bit of pressure that comes when when a team scores and, and they're suddenly doubting themselves. But the, this is a whole new level, right? Because this is a much, much more important game. Not only is the fact you're playing your rivals at, at your rival stadium, but the, 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 the league's on the line. And for them to deal with that pressure and to then be able to turn things around and get the, get the point, you know, that was sort of just makes that a little bit safer uh, for next week. I think the team and, and the Roger Schmidt deserves a lot of credit for that because that was a, a real pressure point, you know, and, they, and they, they, I think they rode it and they came for it. A hundred percent. And you know what, for me, Barney, the biggest call of all wasn't just Barr coming on, um, wasn't just putting Arjas in midfield. It was Roger Smith's choice to take off Joao Mario and not Joao Neves. That, for me, was the biggest call of the whole game because you've got two midfielders there. Joao Mario, experienced player, played at the highest level, the club's talisman, the club's top scorer. Actually, might just be behind Casado Maris, but one of the club's top scorers. And you've got Joao Neves, the, the youngster who's only just making a name for himself. In that situation, I think 99 out of 100 managers will be tempted when they realise they need to sacrifice a central midfielder, they take off the youngster. You know, it would just be automatic. But I think Roger Smith understood, even though Joao Neves had quite a poor first half, which was the amazing thing, but he still knew what he what he could expect from this youngster. And he, re- he completely paid him back. The second half of Joao Neves was fantastic. He did everything that um, we know that he's good at. He was very combative. He was in the face of, of uh, Sporting's defenders. He was pressing high. He won the ball back near to Sporting's box. And he was brilliant. There was It was funny because there was an image that the cameras focused on about 
I think it was about an hour into the game, maybe 70 minutes into the game. But it was when, you know, Roger Schmidt has taken off Gonzalo Ramos, Joao Mario and Rafa, you know, arguably Benfica's three most iconic players at the moment. They're three, other than Grimaldo, they're three most famous iconic players and he, and he took them off he wasn't afraid to make those decisions and I think all of his decisions paid off you know we even saw um, Peter Musa have his moment you know with a couple of runs forward and and those calls were 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 justified in the end by uh, the fact that they got two goals back with that said though Barney I think the thing I have to come back to is with all those improvements that they made in the second half with the fact that they were able to to nullify sporting and score two goals do we then have to say that perhaps this is a mixed opportunity? Because conversely to what I was talking about with Sporting, where I think they came into the game with the right attitude, I don't think Benfica came into the game with the right attitude and they suffered in that first half. They were well beaten. They, they, it was two goals that they deserved to concede. They deserved to concede more. And you have to say this was an opportunity for them to win the title at Sporting Stadium, which they didn't take. When Although it is a bit too... I think it does a disservice to Sporting to say that Benfica would have gone there and expected to win because, you know, Sporting are an excellent team despite the difficulties they've had this season. There was every opportunity for Benfica to win this game. And I think when they look back at that first half performance, the fact that they were so passive and the fact that they conceded two goals so badly, I thought the best at that moment that they could have hoped for was a draw. And obviously a draw wouldn't have won the title. So from that sense, I think it was a missed opportunity. I think that's the difference, though, isn't it? In in this in this league, you know that we have you have so many games which are quite pedestrian, quite you know easy, and and you sort of just go through the motions, and then you have these derbies which sort of can just throw anything up. I mean, you've, if if we're looking in the in the the recent past now, but you know we can actually look at the the loss to Porto from Benfica as well. It's sort of another huge game, and we maybe we can look into them dealing with the the pressure in that moment as well, and. But the point I'm trying to make, sorry, is just that, you know these these derby games are it can throw up. There's just so many more elements in, in, in these games and and, and and different pressures and uh, drama. You know, refereeing decisions, all, all sorts can happen. And I, I think uh, though I might, might you know maybe come next week if Benfica haven't won the league, we can maybe drill down in these derby games and point to those those moments. But I think in this particular moment, in this particular game, we do have to credit the way Benfica got themselves back into it and, and came away with a point at least because we've both said it now, but Sporting really could have had put the game to bed in the first half. And uh, and uh, yeah, it, it uh, Benfica did well to ch- turn things around. Well, Benfica go into the last game of the season, as we said, at home against already relegated Santa Clara, knowing that most likely one point will be enough uh, to win them the title as they have such a superior goal difference. I saw it's something like if Benfica draw and Porto win by 14 goals uh, or something, then Porto win the title. But of course, if, and it's a big if, but if Benfica lose at home to Santa Clara, then Porto could still be champions. It's It seems so unlikely, but it's still mathematically possible. Uh, and Porto this weekend did a great job of keeping the pressure on Benfica as they beat Famalicao 4-2 away from home. Just the four penalties in this game, Barney. Uh, four goals from Taremi, three of which were pens. Um, but it puts him top of the league's top scorer chart uh, by three goals now and it puts Porto as I said one point behind Benfica going into the final game of the season so credit to them because I, I, I've given them a bit of stick this last part of the season I'm sure some Porto fans are getting a bit exasperated of me criticising them even when they're winning 
They've won nine out of their last 10 league games, including beating Benfica. They've kept that pressure on as best they can. Um, they've got hope that Benfica slip up against Santa Clara if they can make the title last minute. But it was another win that I'm describing, Barney, as by any means necessary. Um, this time it was with a bit of, of a helping hand from a few penalties, but not the worst performance by any means. No, no. And I, I, you know, I... I don't. Know, I think they're all pens. To be fair, like you know, I don't, so, I don't, some of them were softer than others. But if you really yeah. push me, I probably would say they were they were all right. And, and of course, you know, this, this happening just whips up a whole frenzy on Twitter of uh, <laughs> fans of other clubs. You know, saying there's conspiracies. The amount of penalties got. I mean, can, did, can I just come here? But Medi Taremi is really lucky that his name doesn't fit with the word penalty in the way that Penalda. <laughs> Penalda. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Pen Pendi Taremi. Medi Penremi. It just doesn't work. <laughs> Yeah, that'll be bad. But like uh, the, I was going to say, you know, I think that both Benfica and um, Porto have, have got, you know, after this game, have both had 12 penalties awarded for them this season. I think um, Sporting yeah. have had 10. And then, you know, those are the top three uh, that, compared to the rest of the teams. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm not getting involved in it, but, I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I would just say that I think uh, the only thing I would say is that I'm I just think saying I've that, done my own research. <laughs> the, the thing I was going to say about Mediterranean, similar to the point you're sort of alluding to at the beginning of, but there uh, when you were talking about this game is um, I wanted to uh, del- delve in and, and I wanted to find out when was the last time Mediterranean scored more than one goal in a game, you know, and then and, and I, I had a check and that, that was back in December. And I, I think. I think that was a bit of a stupid thing to look up because I'm not really sure what the point of finding that out was because when you know, when when I got his scoring record up for the season and you see all the the ones there, um, you actually realise like, I, I, you know, I, I've been critical of many Tremies form this season. It's been bloody consistent, man. He's, he, has, he, he has. He's got. He's scored 21 goals now. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, four came in this game, and and the the I think he had a four game drought uh, at the beginning of the season, first half, maybe October time. Otherwise, you know, even in the, if you look at his games in the Champions League and, and the cup games, you know, he's he's consistently scoring. Um, and then if you were to go back season season and the season before that, and even when he was at Rio Ave, it's, it's like we said before, the guy's an absolute machine. He, you know, he he scores and. And I think, you know, we've had, obviously Benfica have been fantastic. We've been looking at their strikers a lot. Uh, we've been quite, you know, focused on Sporting's attacking options because of their whole stri- striker conundrum. And, and perhaps we've come to sort of forget Taremi and and, and 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 just sort of not see him as the exciting. <laughs> I mean, it's not that exciting, you know, just scoring penalties or, or you know, just... <laughs> or, or, you know, just, you know, his goals aren't always, like, amazing, but... God damn, man! This guy is 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 unbelievable, and 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 I think, yeah, I just I just felt I I think it was it took me this game to realize how how good he has been, and and mm. and perhaps how how good Porto have been, you know, all season. It's just the fact that they're in Benfica's shadow, and and um, maybe that's the case. He's now three goals ahead of Marcelo Ramos in the top scorer charts with one game to go, so that's obviously unlikely to change. Although that said. Gonzalo Ramos will be looking at a home game against Santa Clara and licking his lips. Um, he's unlikely to be knocked at that top spot. I'm going to ask you a lazy question, Barney, but you know he's got one year left on his deal. Do you think he stays? Oh, I don't know, man. It's it's, it's the it's the many term, term conundrum, isn't it? It's it, yeah. it's, it's his age. It's his um uh. It's, he could get offered money. Uh, I wouldn't blame him for going for money, but I also feel like you know he. he 
he looks at home. Um, Porto, it just seems to fit. It seems to make sense. Um, hey, maybe he goes to to Napoli of Contrasau and becomes the Victor Oshman replacement. Who knows? You know <laughs> what? Any anything could happen. But he, I think his his story, if people don't know it, I think we we wrote about it for Portugal back in the World Cup when he was playing for Iran. There, you know, his story is incredible. His career, you know, it's a maybe you can draw comparisons to Jamie Vardy. You know, he's played in sort of not as prestigious leagues such as Iran and and and, and uh, even Saudi Arabia and, and he came to Port- Portugal and has just found his home and has been on fire ever since. Just on family cow, Barney, they obviously would have been quite frustrated after this game. They played a decent game themselves. They scored two goals. But you can see three penalties against Porto. You know, it's always going to be tricky. I'm sure it has some of their qualms about some of those decisions. Um, but at the end of the day, that's out of their control. It was a rare, even even Jaime header, which I enjoyed. Um, didn't expect that. But I didn't enjoy that quite as much as I enjoyed Santiago Colombato's celebration for the penalty that he scored. Um, if anyone doesn't know, he scored a penalty in the 44th minute, uh, one minute before the end of the second half, to make it 2-2. Uh, he sprints straight to the corner flag rips off his shirt and is celebrating like he just scored uh, the winning goal in the cup final. I loved it personally. You know, I absolutely loved it. Um, what do you think of that? I'm sure you enjoyed it as well. I, know, I was I was wondering if he thought it was full time, if he forgot about <laughs> if he thought it was the <laughs> end of the match, because that's what it looked like to me. Like, it's like, yeah. equalised in the last minute of the game. I, I, yeah, I mean, fair <laughs> play to him. And, no, and no, to be slightly serious on Colin Batter, you know, he's been, he, I know I've talked about him a fair few times, but he's been an excellent little player. For mm. Cow. And uh, and and perhaps similarly to um Medi Taremi, you know, he's not the youngest midfielder, he's not like an Ugarte was when he when he came to Family Cow, but that he's I think he's slightly older, perhaps 25, 26. So, you know, whether clubs will be in for him, I am not so sure. But uh, it's 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 a great bit of scouting from um from Family Cow to get a player like him in and and he's been he's been really, really good for them. Yeah, brilliant. And I think you know, Family Cow obviously just missed out on Europe. But ultimately, I think it's been a positive season for them. And even in this game, like I said, look, the, you can see three penalties, you're probably going to lose the game, but they still played well. They showed what they're about. And I think, considering Fermin O'Carroll, a club that we've talked about with a bit of disappointment over the last few years, I think they're starting to look again like a uh, very competent club who who will, will hope for, for good things next year. Um, lastly, let's do Braga then, because they drew 1-1 against Boa Vista. I don't think there's too much to dwell on in terms of the game itself, Barney. Not an awful lot of interest to discuss there. But of course, this game was significant as it ultimately secured Braga's third place finish in the league. After the game, of course, they played before Sporting uh, and Benfica. So after the game, it seemed like that draw would mean they might have to wait until next week before confirming their Champions League finish. But that result between Sporting and Benfica meant that third place was indeed confirmed for Braga and with it, a Champions League qualification place. Listen, it's a phenomenal achievement for them and something that I think the team, the staff, the fans can be very proud of. I know there were times when we were talking about maybe they'll challenge for the top two, maybe they'll challenge Porto, but listen, regardless, it's Champions League football. It's something they haven't had since 2013. So it's a really, really brilliant achievement for Braga. Yeah, it's been a an incredible achievement. I think Arthur George has well, he certainly surprised both of us and what he was he got this Braga team to do this season. They, I, I perhaps think we saw a a little bit of the nerves of the 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 potential of the, of the result in this game. You know, the, the I think both they they were seemed a little cagey, a little nervous in in the first half. You know, there wasn't much many good chances created. 
but regardless, you know they they, they managed to, to get the get the job done. I'm going to go on a, a really big point here because uh, it, I basically wrote down where my where my brain went in, in, in preparing my notes for this for this game. Mm-hmm. I, so first of all, you know, you look at um, I wrote about Jallo, you know, who created Braga's goal that came off Reggie Cannon. Uh, it was his own goal. Um, you know, Jallo getting on the pitch and 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 seeing him there and thinking about you know that that's a that's a young winger we haven't seen much of you know but perhaps we, we're going to see more of next season they're going to obviously need need to ro- rotate their their teams a hell of a lot more than they have done if they want to compete in the the Champions League and then, and then obviously Rodrigo Gomez gets on um on the pitch as well and uh you know that's a player who, who got the number 7 shirt at the start of the season who yet hasn't been trusted by Arthur George as much as he was with um when uh, Carvalho was in charge last season and and and, and I wanted to find out why we perhaps haven't seen Rodrigo Gomez as, as much as we might have, and I, I, I tried looking for sort of news articles about injuries because because there wasn't really any clear information on that or or, or if anything's gone personally with him. So the only thing I could find was a, a video made by UEFA back in October, which was with him and Vitinha, the the striker. Uh, they had who, who they saw to Marseille in in, in January, and um, it was just a video about them two talking about their relationship they've had at the club, but then. Seeing Vitinha, I suddenly realised that they sold their best striker in January, and you know if you sell what arguably your best player, that could have so many ramifications. And yet they've they've weathered that storm. And this is my my long twist, like long twisted point I've been trying to make here, where my brain went. But I had this realization that you know it's once again I think I've perhaps underplayed Braga's Arta George and Braga's achievement this season. You know for what they've been through. Um, Simon Banzer, you know, is an interesting one because you know we 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 had real hopes for him, but he hasn't been the horrific striker we thought, but he perhaps might be. And there's no horrific player really other, other than Ricardo Horsa, and yet this team has just got result after result after result, playing some really good football. Um, they've the I think Artajos has managed the the squad well as the season's progressed. You know, we saw them at different areas throughout the pitch. Obviously, bringing Bruma in the window in the, the January window has revitalized their the 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 wide men and then and even like someone like a the, the left back position we saw Sakiria so much the first half and then Broder has been brought in even Thiago Mendes played at left back this this game it, it, there's just been so many stories of that just seem perhaps seem quite trivial at the time and then when you think of it when it culminates in this moment where they've secured Champions League football you sort of realise that the job they've done and and and, and it's just it's, it's remarkable really i just think it's it's such a big achievement uh, and i'm i'm so happy for them because i think yeah it's 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 they've done it really well yeah a lot of really really good work was done you know you think about them losing david karma in the summer and and the scouting that was done to bring in nyakate and listen i've i've said it i don't know i'm not going to take it back I, at times i think he's looked better than what karma looked so he's been fantastic and you know, comes with a really cheap price tag. Smart signings in January, like you say. Bruma, even Pizzi's played his part, I thought. He's done really well. They lost Fatinha, didn't replace him, and yet they haven't lacked the goals. So it's a really, really good-looking team at the moment. I can't think of an obvious player who's going to leave, to be honest. Um, I think Champions League football will help them keep hold of a lot of players, especially Ricardo Horta, who's signed a, obviously signed recently signed a deal there. Um, I'm sure he'll be motivated now by the opportunity to play Champions League football. So... It's an incredible achievement and, you know, maybe let's not dwell on it now because we want to think about the positives, but it might it might be worth mentioning that they haven't been amazing in Europe recently. Of course, they 
they got a Europa League uh, quarterfinal, I believe. So that was decent. But in general, the last few seasons, they haven't been amazing in Europe. The Champions League will be a big test. They've got to get through a qualification campaign, which could be really difficult. But listen, if they were able to get to the Champions League group stages, the last time they were in the Champions League group stage, Barney, 2013, what an achievement that would be if they were to make it there again. And let's not forget they've got the Tasta Portugal final on the horizon. So, you know, imagine, you know, in the next few months, if they were to take home a Tasta Portugal trophy, they were to make it to the Champions League group stage, we could be talking about, you know, some of the best times at Braga for for quite a few years. So it, it's been really, really enjoyable to watch. And I think we're we're both really pleased for them and yeah, really happy with what they've achieved. I'll just quickly talk about Bovis Travel because um you know, I mentioned the 120-year anniversary kit there, which was absolutely beautiful. Um, but there's a there's a few other things in this game. You know, we saw Bukali, the the veteran goalkeeper, play his last game. Um, I think it's 41 years of age. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a, a big player for them for five or so years now. Um, it was it was nice to see the sort of tributes that made to him because he's he's been a you know there's, he's he's had some big games this season. He's been a a real real good player for them. But I, I, it was actually the youngsters, Albert, that that that, that Petit brought on. You know, I, seeing sort of post-match Petit talking about this game, I think he signed up quite well. You know, this was a quite a, a closely fought game. Both teams were playing well, though there weren't many chances in the first half. And then he sort of said he, the second half sort of opened up a bit, and it was a bit end to end, and you sort of, you know, it was a bit a bit bitty. And he thought he could make an opportunity to for Bovista by bringing on these, you know, these two young strikers. I think Martin Tavares, who's quite highly rated, he got on and, and Thiago Machado, who getting his debut for Bovista, um, he's been playing for the under 19s. Um, he, he brought him on as well. And uh, the reason I'm bringing it up out is because, you know, we've just been talking about perhaps Braga's future next season and sort of the young players they're bringing through Bovista have got a few in there as well. And, and then I think Petit's done a really good job there this season. I think uh, he's, he's got a, He's done well with what he's got, and and perhaps there's a couple of young players who can push on next season and, and make them that bit better. Um, they, they they themselves might have been you know hoping for Europe at the beginning of the season. It hasn't quite panned out how we 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 perhaps anticipated as well. I think I tipped them for potentially getting to Europe, but um, yeah, I think it's worth just uh, appreciating as well the job that Petit's done with Bovista, keeping them largely out of danger and 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 doing well with a not not a, an amazing squad. One player they're going to have to do about next season, Barney, of course, Yusuf NG got himself on the score sheet, as he has done quite a few times this season. Um, it looks most likely that he's going to leave and that he's going to leave abroad. Uh, what kind of legacy do you think he's going to have in Portugal? Because I do like him. He's scored good goals. Um, at times, I think he can be a bit wider to target. He can look a little bit kind of Bambi on ice. But listen, his goal scoring tally has been very respectable you know there were rumours that clubs like Braga were interested in him um, but he's been, he's been a decent player in this league over the last few years oh completely man uh, he, he's one of those strikers that we sort of fall in love with when we're doing this podcast you know I'd put him in the same bracket as Douglas Tang at Pastor Freire a few years ago um, <laughs> you know one of those sort of just like not uh there's something about him that just sort of stands him out, and I, I'm a big fan of his album. I think he, he's he's done a, he's done he's done brilliantly for Bovis this season. Some huge goals, some really big goals. You know, got what, certainly won them at least six points by himself this season with with, with his with his goals. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's they'll they'll I think it'll go down as a Bovis the legend. But you know, he's been there a while, and he's got some he's got he's got a fair few goals to his name. So yeah, what's well, the uh, best of luck to him wherever he goes. 
Well, after Braga Barney, there were, of course, more European places to be decided. Decided Sporting were confirmed in fourth place after their draw with Benfica. And of course, there were the two Europa Conference League places to be finalised. They were both confirmed at the weekend after wins for Vitoria and Aruca saw them sew up fifth and sixth place. What order they finish in could still be decided in the final day, but that won't affect the ultimate reward of European football. Let's start with Aruka then, Barney, because that feels like the most significant one for me, the most significant win out of the two. Uh, they beat Chavez 1-0 at home. They've had a dip in form over the last few weeks, which opened the doors for teams like Chavez to potentially nick European football from them after so much hard work this season. But I suppose it, it kind of came at the right time then for, for Shabs to announce that even if they did finish in the European places, they wouldn't sign up to the Conference League for financial reasons. That meant that sixth place would have been enough for Aruka should they needed it. But it just felt right for Aruka to get this win over Shabs, do the whole thing properly, finish above them. It just felt like the right result at the end of the day. Yeah, it really did. You know, um, in a way, I think, you know, the fact Shabs have come up uh, so close to to sort of nick, nicking that position from them, despite them saying they wouldn't compete next year. But you know that that sort of uh, that in, in my eyes, Shabs have sort of taken the limelight away from Aruga for you know for for, for the way they play the you know, the football that uh, Shabs have been playing as well. And 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 Aruka really needed to <laughs> to just get this done, didn't they? Because I think otherwise they're sort of you could just see that they're the legacy of the season would be so tarnished, and we perhaps wouldn't hold them in such high regard. Looking back and in years to come, um, I think it was very fitting that Moisilla got the, the the scored the penalties to get the win. Um, you know, it, it's I I don't know to your uh, disappointment that he's, he's taken up the penalty responsibility from Jao Basso. <laughs> it was a, a few months ago. Um, he was a fancy football bargain, Barney, and he took him from <laughs> <laughs> But look, I think I think that's I I think Evangelist has sort of looked at a player who's full of confidence and, and because you know he's I think his his goals recently have certainly just come from penalties. But Morisilla is so much more than that. You know, he's been he's been operated on the wing a lot more recently rather than in, in central midfield and we saw his dribbling ability, his his uh his crossing ability. he's he's a really dynamic player, can 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 make things happen as well. Um so I think yeah I think it was very fitting that he got the winner for this game. Um it's it's hard not to look at, at the whole season as a whole uh, rather than just this game. But I think you know this is. I'm just really happy for them. <laughs> I, I, I had I had I had real doubts, Albert. I think you know what was it? They went on three losses on the bounce. Um, it didn't look like they could uh, score anything. I I think I I wrote about them for Portugal, but the fact that they're in the expected table, they are actually position position fifteenth, which would mean you know that takes into account their xG uh, scores rather than their actual scores, and that really highlights the fact that Arabinara has been an unreal goalkeeper for them. You know, I really kept them in games, and some of their goals have been ridiculous. And and, and, and but that's not luck, but that's just the way the games have panned out, and then and, and that's where they've got their points. And so they've they've really. I want to say rode their luck, but that that seems a bit harsh. But I think that it's it's almost right, you know. They they've they've really rode that wave of momentum that they had and and fortuity and 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 that sort of all kept going because of their their hard work and and then their their organization and belief and the evangelists um like distilled within this team. And yeah, it's 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 great there in Europe. I, I can't wait to see what happens. 
to the squad and, and what happens to them in the European mm-hmm. journey. Um, it'll be it'll certainly be interesting. We'll see what they can do, what Evangelista can do if he's still there. But yeah, really, really happy for them. It's worth remembering that this is a team that only played in the Premier League for the first time in 2012. Um, it's a team that was tipped by many, including both me and you, to be relegated for pretty much the last two seasons in a row since they were promoted again. Although, incredibly, Bonnie, this wouldn't be the first time that they're competing in Europe. They qualified for the Europa League qualifiers under Lito Vidigal in 2016. Can you believe it? Wow. Um, but it's worth reiterating just what an, an incredible season this this has been for them. Jesus, Lito gets himself about the <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's not always nice to get a mention on the pod. Um, listen, the, the Europa Conference League qualifiers have been tough for Portuguese teams in recent years. We we know that, but we've now got two teams with an opportunity to to, to change that. Perhaps you could say on paper the team with a bit more European experience, who, who might be better placed to do that, will be Vitoria because they themselves capped off what I would describe as an excellent end to the season with a win against your percent. That saw them secure European football for the first time since 2020. In fact, finally, this is only the third time in the last eight seasons that Vitoria have finished in the top five. So I think it's a welcome return to the sort of position that they will feel like they should be in. I agree. I think it's been a it's been a long season for them. They they had they had real momentum at one point, and then that got scuppered by um, injuries, and it took a little while for Moreno to work that out and get them back on track. And now they very much are back on track. Um, you know, this is a, a result I you'd sort of expect them to get. Uh, yeah. You, do you know what the, the I I feel like I always bang on about their their, their injury problems and the players that they 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 have, but I. I this is a particular point of interest for me. Was it was Bruno Gasper started at right wing back, right? We have, we, I think we've barely seen him all season. I think I'm not sure if that was because it was the last home game, and I think he was going to get his uh, is it a hundredth appearance for Vitoria, something like that. But what was interesting, he came off and Maga came on. Um, I mean, we know the injury problems Maga's had this season, but Maga ended up getting man of the match. You know, once mm. he once he came on for his, for what he did in that position, and then you look, and there's Maga at right back, there's Amaro. Bamba, Villanueva, Fritas, and the, v- Varela and goal, and and then you look at it, it. Just this looks like a it. Just that's their best team. That's what they've wanted to do all season, right? All season they've been waiting to do that. Even Thomas Handel in midfield with uh, alongside Silver, the, the the two Silvers up top, and, and then Mickey Johnson. That 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 feels like this this that that's their best team, and it. And Moreno's, I feel like Moreno's wanted to do that all season, and this is the first time he's had that opportunity. Hmm. And if we're talking, looking forward to next year, and the fact that they've secured Europe, that's potentially a really good thing that that they've got themselves in that position with all those issues they've had, all those you know, they've managed to keep going, and and you know that this could be the start. They could they could really push on next season if if, if everything goes well in terms of injuries and and keeping players etc. But. I think there's been a few rumors that that might have been Bamba's last home game, but you know, regardless, this is a, this is a great moment for them, um, and yeah, it's worth remembering all the issues they've had off the pitch for and, and what Moreno's had to deal with. I think, as you say, Barney, it would be so good if they could keep the core of that team together. Those young players, it's some it's so easy to forget how many exciting young players Victoria have got on their books. I think they will probably, just knowing them and the financial situation they're in, 
there will probably be at least one sale. It will probably be Bamba because I think he's the most saleable player in that side. But even if they could just keep it to that one one player going, keeping them as much of the side together as they can, I don't know what's possible. But I would love to see them have a have an interesting window to bring in some interesting players. I think they've already already signed one or two players from the Segunda Liga, so you know they are already making moves, and I think it's healthy for the league to have a, a competent Vittoria side in it because, you know, there's only so many teams of the size of Vittoria and up in this league, you know, and so, as much as we enjoy the smaller teams like Aruka doing well, for a league to be healthy, you also need its kind of historically biggest teams, whether that's Vittoria, whether that's Boa Vista, whether that's Maritimo, those kind of teams with the fan base, with the stadium to, to back them up. You know, imagine the Vittoria Stadium in a European night trying to qualify for the Conference League, you know, full of fans with a bit of pyro and an atmosphere. That's what we want Portuguese football to be all about, you know, on these European nights. So I, I make no apologies for kind of hoping for the best for Vittoria, not just with the Europa Conference League, but in general for the future, because there's a there's a the potential for a great club there and, and the more successful and big clubs we have in this league, uh, the better. But as you say, just their season came good at just the right time for me. They ended the season really well and, and I think that saw them shoot up the table and they deserve to be where they will finish, which probably will be fifth place. All right, well, finally then, Barney, we had to address the elephant in the room the saga that's been rumbling on the longest this season, it's had more drama, more uncertainty, more twists and turns than the title race and the battle for Europe. And of course, the relegation battle was finally brought to a close on Friday night by a 95th minute goal from Claudio Wink, which gave Maritimo a 1-0 win over Vizela and confirmed their position in the relegation playoff Spot thus condemning Passos and Santa Clara officially to automatic relegation. I had to say, Barney, I felt a little bit of sadness after this game, after after weeks and months of speculating, after following this saga for so long, I was suddenly hit with the realization that it's actually over, just like that, so quickly. I don't know what I'm gonna do with my weekends from now on. I know it seems so cruel you know, the fact that this game happened on the Friday night just before Santa Clara and Passos could play, mm. and it, uh, it's just like uh, it just felt a little bit like they just it was completely ripped from them, wasn't it? Um, of course, this is an incredible result for Maurice Maurice. This was like they needed this, and I think you know they 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 deserve a lot of credit for the way they've played in recent weeks. I think uh, I think if we're going to look at the if I was to look at the specifics, Albert, you know, the fact that Claudio Wink got this goal and the fact that Vita Costa, you know, got that goal against uh, Sporting a few weeks ago, I think that shows the the bravery that Jose Gomes has shown with this Marito side because, you know, I think he's he's really worked on them defensively. Uh, I, I, you know, we, obviously there's been a few individual areas, but I think that we can agree that they, they've been improving. You know, look at the Mascara in this game. You know, I think 
you know, despite the fact he made a was it against Portman's perhaps a, a sort of howling error like a few weeks back. Otherwise, he's been excellent. You know, a really good young defender. And and the point I was making about the wing back story is that you know the, the, there's goals come from those positions. Paulinho got assist was it a few weeks ago? I mentioned Vita Costa's goal against Sporting. That that was a prime example. You know, Vita Costa had, had gambled. He'd gone so far forward. He'd left. Uh, Marcus Edwards and and took that opportunity to to get up the pitch himself and and, and that created the goal. They've done that a lot and I, I, you know they haven't gone for grinding out results and shutting up shop and and, and playing for, you know five at the back or uh, even six at the back like Paolo Sergio likes to do. You know they, they've 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 tried to to keep themselves safe by getting goals and, and playing playing positively. And I really think Jose Gomes has done that. I agree. Over the last few weeks, I've definitely thought that. I think. For the last half of the season, it was a tie-up for me between Passos and Maritima about who deserved it. There were times that I thought Passos deserved it. But I think the last month or two, I definitely agree with you. You know, it's it's not a perfect team, is it? So it's never going to be perfect. The, the reason they're down where they are, in my opinion, is actually not because of mismanagement. I don't think that's a very strong team. So I don't think their league position is is, is hugely... Um, it's hugely removed from where they they ought to be, although I think perhaps they should have been a little bit higher up the table. Um, and I think Jose Gomes has, has, has done a good job of identifying the best aspects of that team and, and playing to its strengths. Um, one thing that I have disagreed with him, though, in the last few games is not starting Claudio Wink. I mean, the guy's come on as a super sub the last few games. He's scored like two or three goals since coming off the bench in the last five games. You know, he's done really well. And I think in, on paper, he's arguably one of Maritimo's best players. So personally, I would have started him. But look, he comes off the bench and gets the goal that gives them a lifeline. So uh, maybe Jose goes, knows knows more than I do. Of course, they're not safe yet, Barney. They've, they've got the, a lifeline, as we're calling it, of the relegation playoff. That's going to be two legs, it looks like, against Estrella de Amador in the second division. Um, the last two seasons in a row since this playoff has been brought in, the team from the Segunda Liga has won both times. It might be too early to say, but I'll ask your opinion as well. But it, I think Maritimo are possibly the strongest prospect of survival that we've had in the last two years. And I say that because in a weird way, they are ending the season on the up rather than on the down, which I think is what the last few seasons we've seen from teams ending up in the relegation playoff spot. Yeah, they can very much focus on that game now and, and build on this sort of yeah this, uh, this this decent end to the season i think it's it's the fact they've done it with a game to spare as well means that you can make sure the players they uh they they need to be uh, uh fit and ready and perhaps rest players in the in the final game of the season um which is which will be really big for them you know keeping that uh freshness and momentum um so yeah i think uh it's it's they're in a strong position and and, and yeah hopefully they'll be able to uh you know, do, do as best they can. Of course, a couple of words then. Lastly, for Passos and Santa Clara, they didn't even get the opportunity to play in order to try and survive. They were condemned to relegation before they played. Um, Santa Clara deserve to go down. They've been absolutely dreadful for pretty much the whole season. And Passos, they gave us a little bit of hope. You know, they started to show some fight, but it was never going to be enough. I think it was, it was, you know, it was quite emotional actually to watch the Passos game. They won the game in the end. And I think um, Nico Gaitan, who who I think he went down as an own goal, but you know it was his shot that got deflected and went in, was in tears after scoring. The one thing I will say about Passos is that whilst they've not been great, 
they've been poor. I don't think you can accuse those players of not caring and of not trying. At times, they've cared too much. You know, we look at Paolo Bernardo and Jordan Holsgrove getting sent off in recent games, perhaps, you know, with the adrenaline flowing, they're a bit too hyped up for the game. But I think, you know, the, the fans can look at that team and I think they, they can at least be a little bit proud of the fact that they 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 fought. Since since Cedar Prasetto came back in as manager, they've gave it a real go. They've tried their best and, and they've been pretty crap at times, but at least they fought for it. Yeah, no, they've really tried. Um, maybe maybe we can look at the the quality of the squad. I don't know. It feels it feels really sad to see some of those players go, particularly Nicholas Gaetan. I, I don't know if he'll be back in the league. Um, <laughs> so I, I can't stop thinking about. I want to ask you how much would you rather Portimonense have gone down the past the Premier League? I mean, that's 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 harsh. <laughs> I'm not sure we've actually addressed this on the show, so I apologise if any Portimonense fans are listening. But I have a I have a hatred for Portimonense at the moment. They're the worst team to stay up in the Premier League in many years. Um, I hope they improve next season. I'll leave it at that. And Santa Clara, of course. Well, it's a shame to see an Azorian team go down. Um, next year is going to be absolutely huge for that club. I think the money they've spent on players, their wage bill, um, you know, the 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 fact they look clueless and hopeless, they've got a really, really big year next year. And uh, I just hope they don't do what some teams do and and, and do the double and end up in, in real obscurity. So, uh, listen, we love the Island teams and we want more Island representation. So hopefully they will be, uh, they will be back up soon. I know a lot of our listeners... Santa Clara is kind of their second club because they might have relatives from the, the Azores. So, uh, yeah, they've been poor this season. They deserve to go down, but uh, hopefully they'll be back soon. All right, well, that's about all we've got time for on this week's podcast. We usually like to end the show with a little Game of the Week recommendation, but as there's very little jeopardy in any of the games uh, next weekend, the only game we can really recommend is, of course, Benfica versus Santa Clara. Worth watching because if they win, they win the title. If they lose, it will be one of the biggest uh, upsets uh, in a very long time. So I think we can only really recommend that game, Barney. I was just going to ask you, we could do the opposite and reckon a game definitely not to watch. <laughs> <laughs> what job would you choose? I don't know. One of Estra and Marita, like we mentioned, Marita might be playing a B team and Estra would just not been very good. Don't know, man. There's, <laughs> there's, there's literally nothing to play for for anyone else these days. Or Portman's Aruka? Aruka on the beach now? It feels like we've gone from a weekend where most teams had so much to play for to a week where literally everyone is going to be on the beach passing the ball around the back four. Um, so, yeah, focus on the title race because that is going to be wrapped up tomorrow and that is absolutely huge. So, uh, yeah, Saturday night, 6pm, the title race will finally be decided on the final day of the season. It's going to be very exciting. Well, look, that brings us to the end of the show. But before we go, we want to give you guys, the listeners, an idea of what to expect from the podcast in the coming weeks because, of course, with the season ending, it brings us to are some of our favourite shows of the year as we round up this year's Premier League. So it's going to be over the next two weeks that me and Barney will be rounding up the season. Next week, we will be reflecting on whoever wins the title and we're going to be doing a very brief season roundup where we run through every team and discuss how they've done this season. But the real big show is going to be the week after where we will be doing our annual Long Ball Football Awards Ceremony, where we crown such awards as Player of the Season, Young Player of the Season, Manager of the Season, 
and our personal favourite, uh, the Ryan Gould Award for Best Player at a Relegated Club. So there's all that to look forward to. Plus, we'll be doing our official team of the season and we're going to put a tweet out about a potential Q&A with you guys as well. So keep an eye out on Twitter because we're going to be announcing our plans for the next few weeks. Over the next two weeks after this, there's going to be a lot of league roundup stuff. Uh, so there should be plenty for you guys to enjoy. Uh, yeah, we're looking forward to discussing our team of the season and all that kind of stuff, Barney. And it's also worth remembering that we're, our, our shirt giveaway, which we've been running for the last few weeks, is closing on Saturday. So we have... Um, Anybody hasn't seen our Twitter post, uh, just a simple like and retweet to enter uh, our competition to get a shirt of your choice from any club in the Premier League. Um, and that's so, yeah, so make sure you get on that. I was just wondering about if people haven't got Twitter because they just email their, their entry at longwoodfootball at gmail.com. That's a good point. If, if you if you genuinely don't have Twitter and you want to enter the contest, um, we are on Instagram at longwoodfootball. We can message us there or you can send us an email. Um, longballfootball at gmail.com anybody who doesn't have Twitter and goes to the links to actually email us to enter we are happy to give an entry um, alright well that does bring us to the end of this week's show um, if you've enjoyed listening you could leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts you could leave us a star rating on Spotify you could share the podcast with a friend and if you really enjoyed listening you could consider becoming a longball football socio via our new Patreon page details of which you can find in the description of this podcast but that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening once again and we'll see you next week see you next week